It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of the 1871 podcast with Dylan Kerr, Johnny Hunt and me, Mark Roach. And what an absolute pleasure to introduce tonight's special guest, Royals legend Stuart Lovell. So hello Stuart, a big welcome to the 1871 podcast. Thanks for joining us. Mark, thank you very much for the invite and um, obviously great to speak to you and Dylan and Johnny. Um, to, to reminisce. I've no idea what's on the agenda, but I dare say there'll be some really good ones and probably a few painful ones and, uh, and, and we'll make the best of it. It's, um, it's nice to chat about what was a huge part of my career. Well, I can guarantee there'll be at least one of each. But anyway, before, <laughs> before we speak to Stuart, a quick mention for Andy Yeardom, who's another Royals player um, who's got a chance now to play at the World Cup after Ghana qualified. And obviously... The big game at Barnsley is getting closer. Only two days to go now. Uh, and Stuart, it's fair to say that that you were involved in some very big games in your time at Reading. So we're going to ask you, um, as we just said, your memories of some of those. But let me start with a very, very belated congratulations to you. As you recently joined me, Dylan and Johnny in the 50s club, even though <laughs> you still look about 35, although your hair's a bit different, the colours a bit different. But and, and you're, um, I, f- I only just found out a couple of hours ago, you're only two days older than Johnny, but a few years younger than me and Dylan. So ah. we're, we're a bit ahead of you. Did you do anything special for your, for your big 5-0? Um, as you can imagine, like a lot of people who have turned 50 in COVID times, um it wasn't spectacular by any means um there were plans I mean I I, I kind of tucked a bit of money away and the plan was to try and take a chunk of of annual leave and go and uh, visit my brother in in Australia and 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 do a bit of a kind of family tour and whatnot obviously I've still got my Aussie passport gathering dust so that was that was the plans you know way back when before COVID even came on the scene and then I realised very quickly that getting into Australia wasn't going to happen. Uh, that was good. Well, I could have got in, but my family would have struggled. So that was that was off the table. Um, and then I was trying to convince um, my wife and the kids to see if we could maybe go on a skiing trip. And we'd focused on uh, Austria. 
So that was kind of like uh, front and centre. And then literally when we were about to book, Austria went into lockdown. So, <laughs> so we basically just sacked it. And uh, and yeah, I got I got a few presents, a few cards and whatnot. But my wife's got me a lovely present. We're going to Michelin star restaurant actually in a couple of weeks time. So I've had to wait three months for my main 50th birthday present. So it's still to come, which is the good news. Oh, there, there you go. Well, it wasn't uh, it wasn't too inappropriate to wait all this time to wish you happy 50th birthday. Uh, and you mentioned your brother. I know your brother very well um, out in Australia. And I talked to him, I said, oh, we're, we're doing a um, greatest um, uh, 11 from the last 50 years. And he said, oh, well, Stuart won't get in because he wasn't even the best player in the family. <laughs> I think, I think you, you'd probably have something to say about that. But anyway, um, now I remember obviously my, um, my dad, I think I'm right in saying, and you'll have to remind me, he represents, he was never officially your agent, was he? But I think he... He helped you with a few things from what I can remember, didn't he? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, obviously you and I have spoken and, and, and um, you know, about your dad sadly, sadly passing away very recently and, and um, you know, huge condolences to you and the family for that. That your, your dad was one of the first, what I would class as super agents back in the day, you know, um, we uh, we 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 didn't have such a thing back then, but but he was representing some some serious big guns, and um, and and I think Dylan will probably be able to you know concur with this that we were kind of largely left to our own devices back in the in in the nineties um, to kind of fight your own corner, and 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 some were better than others. Um, I ended up kind of trying to speak to some of the senior players, um, you know, that I shared a dressing room with and, and, and then people like your dad just to kind of pick their brain and no footballer ever wants to undersell themselves. Um, and yet we frequently do. Um, and I would include myself in that at, at different points in my career. Um, your, brother but... would, your brother would agree as well, obviously. It's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to handle because, you know, as a footballer, you, you know, your, your whole kind of, um, default is to be hopefully a good team player part of a squad you know it's all about the camaraderie and 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 what you can contribute to to the group and and everything revolves around the team team comes first and all this type of thing so you're fed that from a very young age and then of course when it comes to negotiate you haven't got anyone with you you don't get your teammates to come in and 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 argue the case you're kind of you know left to try and do it yourself and and I'm not surprised that uh, agents become such a huge part of the game because for years and years and years, the clubs had the upper hand. So a lot of maybe a lot of people would maybe argue it's gone too far the other way now. But um, I, I would I would always prefer you know players to 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 be on the front foot and in the driving seat than the clubs. Um, so then, let's let's go back to and, and then Dylan. I know already wants to to come in and then Johnny's always very patient. He, he waits, picks his moment, and then he comes in with a killer question. So anyway, that, <laughs> that's to come. But uh, I've just got one one question um, to start with. Let, let's go back to the beginning of your of your time at Reading, and I think I've got this right. Please correct me if I have got anything wrong. I think I'm right in saying you came through the youth ranks at Reading. Um, before making your debut in 1990 as an 18 year old and That's right. I believe you made a total of uh, more than 260 appearances scored 67 goals go back to um, those days before you turned pro what, what was that like what were those early days like for you well Reading um, was one of the 
was one of the first clubs, certainly to my knowledge, that had a centre of excellence in inverted commas. So even though Reading was a, um, you know, when I was at uh, primary school and then secondary school uh, in the area, Reading was either a fourth tier team, you know, what we used to call it Division 4, you know, equivalent to League 2 now, um, or, or, or a third tier team. Um, so, so, you know, it wasn't until I was at the latter part of my kind of school years, you know, secondary school that Reading actually managed to get promoted up into the, into the second tier. But, um, but they were very much ahead of their time as a club in terms of having a centre of excellence. So I was introduced to the phenomenal coach that is Bobby Williams, who kind of took me under his wing from a, from the age of 11 or 12, I, I, I seem to recall, you know, I was first year at Chilton Edge back then. So turn, turning up and, and playing on the concrete kind of car park area up by Rawls Rendezvous. Um, and we would go and train there twice a week. And my mum, who had no interest in football whatsoever and, and kind of did her bit just to kind of drop me off and let me crack on and play football. And my dad, my mum and dad separated when I was quite young, but um, my my dad was very much kind of fighting my corner. And, and there were lots of clubs that contacted, uh, you know, the family to kind of get me to go and train with them. Um, but, you know, I was quite happy just to kind of stick with my local club um, just because mainly because my mum wasn't really prepared to travel any great distance to, you know, to give me a shot with any of the other clubs that had kind of inquired. So um, I was able to train obviously all the way through until I turned 14. And that was the youngest age at, at that time that um, any player could officially sign with a club on associate schoolboy forms. So on my 14th birthday, I was offered associate schoolboy forms with Reading, which I you know, obviously jumped at the chance. And then it was effectively just a countdown for the next two years until I got to 16 and, and could leave school after my, you know, after five years at Chilton Edge. And I was, to be honest, literally, it was like I was counting down the days for the last two years to think, when can I get rid of this school nonsense to go and, you know, become a superstar? That was the plan. Um, and, and you know, like everyone who, who left school to become an apprentice and it was the YTS scheme back then. Um, you know, I was just just champing at the bit just to become a full-time footballer. Little did I know that there was still a long, long way to go. Um, but that was the pathway for me, schoolboy to to apprentice and then apprentice, obviously, to, to pro at 18. Go on then, Dylan. I, I'll let you jump in now. I know you're, you're keen to ask your, your old mates some questions. Well, I haven't, I haven't seen him since I left, well, since I left Scotland in 2009. And I, I, I am even able to, to find out how I could get out in touch with him. So absolutely, I'm, I'm honoured. I'm, I'm speaking to Archie. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't call him Archie. I, call, I always used to call him Nugget. I don't know where. That <laughs> he drove his MG, his bright orange MG down in the Coombe Park, parked next to my yellow Golf GTI. I don't know. I don't know. Have you still got that? Have you still got that uh, MG? The, the MG. Um... The MG stayed alive. Uh, it never went to car heaven. I actually sold it to a mate of mine from school who was who was a whiz with cars, and and he made me a derisory offer. And and because I hadn't looked after the car as well as I should have done, um, you know, I punted it to him for about a thousand pound. Back when I was, still had my still had my house in in Emma Green back then. So yeah, the car went on to a good owner um, as it as it should have done. And of course, I, I swapped that for a. 1978 Merc 500 SL, Bobby Ewing, you know, the old Bobby Ewing car. That's, I went from one ridiculous classic car to another. That was kind of my thing back then. I loved classic cars. Still do. I've just become more practical these days. Yeah, it was like, you know, obviously, actually, we've had a good we've had a good couple of chinwags. And, you know, especially with uh, 
our other podcast that we did, but more more with this ready one. It's great, but you know, I'm fed up for saying how well it is, how well we were, what a family we were, what a what a collective of uh, people that loved each other, respected each other, sometimes didn't get along with each other, but we we always seemed to to make it work on the training field and on the uh, and, and in games. I mean, you know, from 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 your perspective, obviously before I came, but, you know, when I joined the club, I didn't know anybody in Reading, but I became, you know, part of a group of players that would die for each other. Yeah, we had a great group back then, Do I mean, the the, the recruitment um, by Mark McGee and Colin Lee was terrific. Um, you know, they had a really good eye for a player. Um, and it was funny... Mark McGee was brilliant with me because <laughs> he used to kind of tell me about when he was signing a player and he actually mentioned yourself and he said, wait till you see this left back that I've signed. You're going to love him, you know, like just a wand of a left foot and this delivery and all this type of stuff. And it was funny because he wasn't signing him for me. He was, <laughs> he was signing him for the club and for, for the group. But, you know, he said the same thing when, when he was signing Darius Dovchek. And then he said the same thing when he signed Simon Osborne. And he was always make you wait till you see this guy. You know, you're going to be able to peel off the centre back and he's going to be able to drop balls on the sixpence. And then, you know, he would he would mention that with with Darius and then with 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 Ozzy. And um yeah, I mean it, it was a terrific group and I think we had a, a very good blend. We had some good senior players. Um, you know, I mean terrific senior players. When when you look back on it, you don't get to choose your teammates, but you do find long after you finish playing, you look back and think, oh, how lucky how lucky was I to kind of be part of that group and um and you know, I, I obviously was at Reading for ten years as as an apprentice and a professional, and and even longer than that. You know, when you count the schoolboy years and, and the centre of excellence, so from twelve until twenty six. So it's funny up here. I obviously still live in Edinburgh now, and and people ask me about my career, and their general interest is is the clubs that I played for in Scotland, but. I'm very quick to kind of remind them that way more than half my career was spent at one club. And, um, and as much as they're interested in, oh, are you a Hibs fan or are you a Livingston fan or are you this or that? I was like, not really. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was kind of, I, I was brought up as a Liverpool fan. Well, not so much brought up, but I, I chose Liverpool because my brother was a Man United fan. So obviously, you know what I'm like with my brother. If he's going one way, I'm going the opposite. So, <laughs> so he was a Man United fan. I was a Liverpool fan and Liverpool were always my team. But obviously, when we moved to Reading, um, I wanted to go and see football and, and I wanted to kind of experience it. So, so Reading was obviously a huge part of, of, of my growing up to watch live football and standing on the tire last end and, and, and kind of taking in, you know, some, some good teams, some mediocre teams and some pretty rubbish teams at times. But, but I got to see all sorts of different things. And that's what being a Reading fan is, is about. I think, you know, you get to experience the highs and lows. I'm sure you guys have seen some terrific Reading sides over the years. And let's be honest, you've seen some, some dross as well. And, and you just have to take that. That's part and parcel of being a football fan, I think. Yeah, but actually, I mean, we had, we had different characters. We had different characters of, I mean, you know, I mean, for, for you, I mean, what, you were 22 years old and you came driving down Coombe Park with an MG, you know, <laughs> bought a brand new PTI. I think Aussie had got a nice BMW. Um, you know, Shaka, James Lambert, you know, uh, Barkus, Lee Barkus, Bassey, all these characters in that, in that dressing room. And, I mean, we had such a great, such a great social scene. You know, Valbons, uh, Washington Heights, Utopia. <laughs> You know, 
Curtin's farm, you know, I mean, it was like we 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 had this we we had this kind of click with, you know, with, with everybody that kind of, you know, put it, it transferred what we had in the dressing room, what we had outside the club, back into the into the field of play when we played, and we would actually go and enjoy the game. And I think there was there was never I think there was only one fight I ever saw was when uh, Quinny uh, volleyed Scotty Taylor, you know, for <laughs> nutmegging. I mean, you know, I mean, that was Scotty Taylor. I mean, there's Jiltsey, there's there's Bernie, there's, I mean, Olsey. I mean, we had such a good collective of players at Archie. It's true. It, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and funny enough, I tried to replicate that when I came to Scotland because when I signed with Hibs, um, it was probably the worst offer I had football wise. Hibs had just been relegated from the from the SPL as it was then to the to the you know to to the the second tier of Scottish football, which was rare for a club of that size. Um, but Alex, Alex McLeish was the manager and he was a very kind of, you know, strong manager, very convincing, um, you know, w- when he was selling the club to me. And But I remember no one went out when I joined Hibs because they'd been basically relegated and because the team was was so poor, they, was, they were scared to go out. So no one socialised. And, and, and gradually, you know, I, I, when I got to know the players, I said to Alex McLeish, would you have any objections if the boys socialised? Because I said, I'm... I've experienced this myself with Reading that when you get guys who kind of go out together and socialize together, you, you create this bond that you, you, you know, you, you have a laugh and a joke on a night out and you have a few drinks. And I said, you know, work hard, play hard. I, I, I said, I've kind of been brought up on that. He was very much the same. So he was like, on you go, you know, just, just um, do what you need to do. And, and we had again, you know, some big characters when I, when I joined Hibs and that was the social scene that we tried to replicate because there was a sense of, of I remember, you know, back in, in the day when we were at Reading, your week was like clockwork. You played on Saturdays. There was no Friday football, Sunday football. It was like playing every Saturday, off Sunday, in Monday, double session Tuesday, and then go and do what you need to do, you know. And, and we'd obviously, you know, go out and, and, and hit wherever we were going, you know, good proper night out, really good kick of the ball. And then spend most of Wednesday trying to recover and rehydrate and then and then come back in and, and train on Thursday, easy day Friday, and then go and play Saturday. And it was kind of, you know, rinse and repeat, wasn't it? It was it was like that yeah. for week yeah. after week after week. And and you needed, you know, you needed to have the kind of the energy and and the powers of recovery to be able to get, do that from, you know, pre-season all the way through to May. It was, it was, you know, it was it was quite um Mentally, I think it was it was quite tough to be able to carry on like that for, for the length of time, particularly when we were playing forty six league games, which is you know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? But um, but as you say, a, a great group, um, a very good social scene, and um, and I think you find that that when you have a period of your career which is successful, you when you move to another club, which invariably most of us do at some point, you 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 kind of recall those memories and. You know, and once you become a senior player, you kind of think, well, it's, it's my turn to drive the dressing room here. It's my turn to become an influential player. Because when I was at Reading at that stage, I was one of the kids. I was one of the young guys who kind of just, you know, followed the crowd because because I certainly wasn't a leader. You know, I was just someone that was looking to the senior players to to see how it was done. Um, and uh, great memories, though, great memories of the group. And, and as you say, I think if you've got the vast majority of, of that squad together now, you could throw them into a room and they would still have a really good night. You know, you, you, you would, you, as you say, you know, there, there's, there's different characters and personalities in different age groups and stuff like that. But um, 
the vast majority of the guys were, were terrific teammates, certainly from my perspective. Stuart, um, we're going to take a very quick break now. We'll be back after this and uh, I'm going to ask you about the promotion season in 93-94. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, Stuart, um, you scored 22 goals, and I think Jimmy Quinn got 40 in 93-94. What an amazing season that was to be part of. What are your recollections of, of, of that and you know, how you clicked with, with Jimmy Quinn up front? Well, do you know, it was the previous season. Um, I mean, a lot of people forget this. I don't forget this, obviously, because, <laughs> you know, I was, I was on the receiving end of it. But Mark McGee and I didn't really hit it off at first. I think that he kind of looked at me. I mean, Mark obviously had just been uh, discarded by Ozzy Ardiles at, at Newcastle. So he was offered, a, a, you know, what was a, quite an unusual role as player-manager. Uh, of Reading initially 35 and and you know I would still argue to this day his legs had well and truly gone and 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 it was time to hang him up I think I probably told him that at one stage which clearly did, wouldn't, wouldn't have gone down very well um egged on by Jeff Hopkins and Parky I might add you know saying oh you need to get in there and tell him that you know and, and I foolishly thought that was actually a good idea and then proceeded to get stuck back on the bench for for about the next month but um we were coming to um so the previous season you know before we won the league um I was actually out the door. Um, you know, I, I'd been offered to Martin O'Neill at Wickham Wanderers and, 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 and I was going there to sign on loan until the end of the season because I was effectively a bit part player in 92, 93. And then um, I was actually, I'm trying to remember it so long ago, I was either on my way to Wickham, but I think I drove all the way to Wickham to sign forms to, to, to join them to the end of the season. And then, and then the idea was I was going to sign for Wickham permanently. Uh, for, you know, under Martin O'Neill. And then I'm pretty sure I got to Adams Park and there was a phone call from the club to um, to Wickham to say, you know, the deal's off because uh, Andy Gray, who had, you know, cheekily taken my spot in the first team, <laughs> um, Andy Gray had flu and, and, and I think there was a bit of a mini flu epidemic, ironically, and, um, and, and I was called back because there was no one else to play effectively. And so I remember Mark McGee kind of calling me back, uh, got back to Elm Park and he said, I don't want this any more than you do. Um, but, you know, we're kind of stuck with you and, and, and you know, you, you've, got, you've got to go and prove yourself. So I got thrown back into the team against Bournemouth. Um, we, we won 3-0, I scored twice. So he, was, he, he kind of forced his hand that he had to lead me in the team to the end of the season. And I had a good run of games and we ended up finishing eight. But we were never really contenders for the playoffs. But I think I'd, he'd seen enough in those games to kind of think, OK, I'll give him a second chance. But he, all through pre-season, he was saying, I'm still to be convinced. You know, I, I'm not convinced that you, you're you're the answer, but, you know, you're, you've got the shirt at the moment, so you need to go and prove it. And I effectively signed a week-to-week contract. They didn't even, you know, I didn't even get a, a proper contract. It was, it was basically said, I'll put you on week-to-week and, and when I think you've done enough, you'll get a a new contract. And ironically, you remember that ridiculous game deal where we went down to Exeter and we were 4-0 yeah. up after yeah. half an hour or whatever. And then somehow 
Ronnie Jepson ran riot and started ragdolling Macca and uh, and scored however many goals he scored and got them back and it went back to 4-4. Um, and then um, I remember you had a hand in one of the goals, uh, either the fifth or the sixth. Quinny came up, trumps. I think Quinny scored one, Scotty scored one. I'd got two in the first half. We, we ended up going 4-0 up, 4-4, and then we won 6-4. And we oh. stopped off on the way back from Exeter. And that was when I got pulled by the manager and by one of the directors um, to say, right, well, you've done enough now. You know, you, you're, you're worthy of a contract. So at that point, I got a new contract and and it was very much kind of for the rest of the season and the year after. Um, and that was when I really kind of felt like I'd made my mark and right, OK, I'm a regular first team player now. This is me at Reading, foot in the door. And now it's up to me to kick on. And obviously, you know, we had a... Uh, a fantastic I was going to say squad but to be honest you, you had so few players because you, you could only have two guys on the bench so it was more of a team really we had a we had a terrific team that year very few changes required um, a, a kind of a style of play that suited us um, and that was one of my favourite seasons because you know I, I, I mean that was the only time I ever got more than 20 goals in a season but I was playing with a brilliant strike partner in Jimmy Quinn um, and you know, if I wasn't scoring, he was, and vice versa. And we, we, but we had a terrific balance to the side. I loved the style of play. It was everything that I, I enjoyed about football. It was like if in doubt, attack. You know, Mark was very much like that. You know, he, he was a front foot kind of type of guy, and and Colin Lee was a terrific coach. So, yeah, that that season just that season just um, clicked for me personally and for the team. Um, and great memories when 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 you win something with your local club, it really leaves an indelible mark. It was phenomenal. I, I still remember the celebrations at Elm Park and singing "We Are the Champions" and all this that type of thing. And and you know, I suppose at that age, so I would have been twenty one, twenty two. You know, come the end of the season, and, and um, it kind of, you know, I, I suppose back then I, I really didn't appreciate. Um, what was going to come down the track in my career. Um, I, I thought that was, that was normal, you know, <laughs> winning the league and, and getting a, you know, a medal um, and getting promoted was, was going to happen every year. And ironically, it was, you know, if, if anything, we surpassed it the, the following season in terms of the achievement. Um, but, you know, I found out two or three years down the line that there would be bumps in the road and, and that uh, it wasn't all a fairy tale. <laughs> Stuart, got got to ask you. Let, let's uh, let's get this this one done. So the following season, obviously brilliant brilliant season, finished second. The restructure meant that you went into the playoffs, uh, and just really, do you still have nightmares about the penalty in the playoff final? I mean, it was it was obviously um, it was a very difficult moment uh, for me personally because you, you feel that responsibility, you know, first and foremost to your teammates. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I took that, I mean, that hit me hard because, um, I'm not really one for kind of trying to pass the buck. You know, I spoke to AD about this a while ago and it was funny because he said to me, this is the first time we've ever spoken about this, you know, since, since it happened in 1995. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an incredibly difficult moment to, to process as an individual. So I, I remember, I remember kind of, um, you know, getting back to, to we, we had a reception in Caversham and, and and my my brother and my dad were waiting there and my my, my dad was he, w- he was always a bit of a softy um 
you know, quite an emotional guy. And he kind of got the old wobbly lip, which kind of set me off. I was like, oh, God, you know. And um, and then you just kind of try and steel yourself to say, OK, well, it'll be OK, it'll be fine next season. But if I'm honest, I kind of knew what was coming, you know, because um, we had players, you know, like Shaka, for example, that you knew Shaka was going to get snapped up. Aussie was only with us for one season, Simon Osborne, and he had played so well that... that um, and because of his age, you kind of thought, well, you know, someone's going to grab him. And and we were looking at AD and Jilksy and, you know, Scotty Taylor and, you know, my, myself, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I was probably an asset at that stage because my age and, and and Dylan had had a phenomenal season. You were just kind of looking at thinking, what's going to happen here? Um, you know, but I, there, there were, there were probably opportunities for me if I wanted to force a move that I could have moved, but I felt such guilt and responsibility for what happened at Wembley that I and 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 also I had had such an ego at the time that I was convinced that I would fix it myself I just thought well I'll you know I'm, I'm obviously one of the top guys here and, and I'll just score a barrel load of goals and and I'll, I'll just get promoted next season um and and you know it was it was a million miles away from that <laughs> the following season for me personally and for the team you know we just you know we lost we lost some great players and 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 the the kind of feel-good factor um, was never the same again, um, you know, for, for all the time that I remained at, at Reading. So that was, yeah, it was a really, really difficult moment. As I said to AD, um, you've got to own it. You've got to accept the fact that, you, you you know, don't don't try and point the finger of blame. It was really interesting. I was listening to, to you know, to some of the comments that Shaka made the other day, and he was talking about how as a young keeper, he felt that he would have, you know, if, if that had happened several years down the line, he felt that he would have stopped the equaliser. Um, and, you know, I'd never even given that a second thought because all I'd ever done was just point the finger of blame at myself and thinking it was me, it was on me, 100% on me, no one else. If, if I'd have scored 3-0 at halftime, game over. And I remember kind of, and it, when he said that, I remember kind of thinking it was a bit of a trundly miskick, you know, equaliser, um, you know, and, and this, is, this is the point about football. It's never on one player. Um, you know, I, I can I can speak about it honestly now and say it was a huge turning point in the game. But it's never on one play. We we were still tuning up with about twelve minutes to go, so you know it wasn't like we were under a barrage of of of, of, of uh, attacks from Bolton in the second half. I mean, I think they had the pressure and the and the territory, but we were we were ticking along nicely, tuning up with twelve minutes to go. And let's be honest, we were we were close enough that we should have got it done, but. Yeah, listen, horrible moment. And I think probably there was no one more relieved than me than than when Reading eventually got promoted, you know, under under the Steve Coppel era, because I, you know, I, I had a huge sigh of relief just to kind of think, right, I'm no longer the guy that prevented Reading from getting to the to the to the Premier League. You know, finally this this fantastic group of players have managed to do it. And and I think I think um, you know, a lot of fans kind of thought, right, well. You know, now's the time to forgive because um, because now they they got the opportunity to experience Reading in the in the in the top division finally. You know, which is a fantastic moment for all Reading fans. And Johnny, I'll let you jump in now. I know you've been patiently waiting. Uh, I think you wanted to mention something about Wolves and a couple of goals at the end. Oh, I think you know the, that was one of the big moments, wasn't it? After you know that that season, the, the two goals in the last couple of minutes against Wolves. How was that? Must have been an amazing experience, and also about your injury, shirt, yeah, <clears throat> the cruise shirt. Yeah, how did that affect you personally, um, professionally, and 
everything else because that was huge, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, you're, yeah, you're talking about a, an enormous high, albeit one game. But um, yeah, I've, a few memories from that game. I mean, I, you know, I, I, when I bump into Reading fans, and I actually bumped into a Reading fan, you know, not that long ago, randomly, and and he was talking about that game and just saying that was his favourite memory as a Reading fan from, from from watching Reading at Elm Park and saying, oh God, you know, we we so wanted to beat Mark McGee because we kind of felt like he walked out on us. And, and um, you know, so I, so I remember popping up with, I mean, you don't get many situations where you score 93rd, 97th minute. So that was pretty special. They didn't, no one ever played to 97 minutes back then. You know, it was unheard of. It happens virtually every week now. But, um, but back then it was... You know, it was it was just one of those situations, right place, right time. But I remember, I remember actually bumping into AD in the tunnel because, of course, AD was injured, but he was he was a Wolves player, and he just looked at me and and I can't repeat the language, obviously, but <laughs> he kind of had this like wry smile when he was laughing, and then every single expletive that you can imagine came out of his mouth as if to say, "You jammy beep 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 beep," you know, like this. Um, but that was a great moment, you know. That was that was a you know just a fantastic feeling because it was a real. It was kind of like just a very small bit of payback from from me to the Reading fans to you know to, mm. to kind of you know get back in their good books again. I mean, it was quite a long time after Wembley. Obviously, we'd moved on, I think, uh, to a large extent. But um, sadly, not long after that, probably barely a month after that, I ruptured my ACL playing in a game that, frankly, I should never have been playing. <laughs> um, I'd actually been part of the first team playing up at Main Road. Um, you know, the, 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 I think pretty, it, was, it was either the day before or two days before. And then this was this was a punishment for for the team being 2-0 up and losing 3-2. And, and I, yeah, I, but... I ended up getting sent to play uh, away at Slough. Um, and I mean... This this is this is the part of football that fans never get to see up close, uh, where a manager or two managers decide that they're going to put you into a situation where it's just designed to, to just to. Well, well, exactly. It's effectively it's, it's designed to try and break you. It's a case of we're in charge, and no no manager in their right mind would think it's right for you to play in a first team game in front of thirty thousand people at Man City. And then two days later, you're playing against Slough because they didn't think that you had a great 45 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and I remember, I, me- I remember just thinking, if I ever go into coaching or management, I will never treat players like this. And so, listen, you, you know what? Over time, time is a great healer and, 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 you, and you try not to get too personal about it. But I remember, I remember when, when Jimmy Quinn and Mick Gooding left their positions and... I didn't have an ounce of sympathy for the two of them because I remember being feeling the treatment that I had. And Dylan, I, I know that you'd experienced that to a certain extent. And it's not about trying to say you're bitter and twisted and stuff like this, but I would have a beer with Geordie now and say to him, you guys yeah. have a clue what you were doing. You, you, yeah. you, 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 managed, you managed players in a way that was deemed to be acceptable back then. Now, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even consider treating a player um, in 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 the way, you know that that there was just it was just the done thing back then. How can you, how can you, you know, mentally break players where they just kind of crumble and then and then what what do you think is going to happen? They're going to come to you cap in hand, say, could you, could you release me, please? But that's what it was designed to do, and um, and and I ended up rupturing my ACL, which you know totally changed my the, my career path. 
on the basis of two guys who wow. just kind of thought, right, we, we'll show him who's in charge. Never knew that. Stuart, we're um, we're uh, at the end. We're at the end now. So um, just want to say a massive thank you for for coming on and talking about some fantastic moments with your time at Reading, but also um, some you know painful memories. Um, some literally, obviously. But uh, yeah, just thanks for coming on. Really uh, appreciate it, guys. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And, thank you. And- all I can say, Mark, is that, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on in, in, in the chat, when, when you've been connected to a club, you know, for, for 14 years, from, from 12 years old to 26, as you can imagine, it never leaves you. You know, it's a huge part of my life. And uh, to get the chance to speak to the three of you about um, a huge part of my career is an absolute pleasure. So I, I thank you all for having me on. Uh, thank okay. you, Stuart. And uh, just for all the Reading fans, obviously, two days to go until the big game at Barnsley. And a reminder, we've got another episode tomorrow evening when our special guest will be Nigel Gibbs, who, of course, was assistant manager under Brian McDermott. So that's it. Thank you to Stuart. Thanks, Dylan and Johnny. Thank you for listening. And come on, you ours. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.